right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Yes, You Guessed It Correctly, the Crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Bryce Paul, joined as always by my buddy, my my notorious compadre, Mr. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone. How are we doing, Aaron? Uh, I am exhausted, to be perfectly honest with you. I have been traveling to permissionless, just got back from an amazing week seeing Decentral and Consensus and even more satellite events in that area. Uh, prices regardless, there is more interest and more money flowing into the space than I've ever seen in my life. The 2018 bear market, I went to a conference that literally had more speakers than attendees. At Consensus this year, it seemed like there was at least 20,000 people, if not more. Oh my Lord. I saw a family office on the, the name of more badges than I've ever seen before. <laughs> Just in my own conversations with interested new funds being raised in this space, there are combined over $1 billion. And then A16Z just released like another $4.5 billion fund. So regardless of what the prices are today and the way the economy is shaping up, that is in no way a prediction for the future. And, and, um, and every it's also- founder I talk to is really excited. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm with you. And I think one of the things that, that, you know, these sort of environments do, these bear markets, if you will do, is it really separates the, the chaff from the wheat or the cream from the crop or the builders mm -hmm. from the talkers. And we got a builder with us yes. today, somebody who is not phased by a down market and who wasn't necessarily phased by an up market either and just said, I'm phased by the technology. I'm phased by the culture. I'm excited about what Web3 and, and DeFi has to offer. And so we're joined by Sam Lester, who's the CTO and the co-founder of Remaster. Uh, Sam, welcome to the Crypto 101 podcast. Hi guys, thanks for having me. So it's awesome, awesome to be here. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really excited to dive into to everything that you've been building, but I wanna just zoom out. I mean. You know, just, you know, we were talking about markets and we're talking about building being the antidote. Does that kind of resonate with you? How do you think about markets like this and, and, and having your staying power uh, to get through to the other side? Yeah, I mean, you know, if, if you've been in the crypto space as long as I have, you've, you've seen some pretty wild rides. You know, you, <laughs> you've seen it down from Bitcoin into, you know, the sub 100 range. Uh, all the way up to you know the plus fifty thousand dollar range, right? And you got to remember these assets compared to what they were five six years ago to compare to what they are today as a percentage. It's unbelievable to see the shift, and it, it's truly amazing to see how many people who have a adopted this technology, not just in the U.S. but around the world, uh, and and b how curious people are about it. I mean, I, to me, that's the most exciting part. It's not the price of Bitcoin. It's not the price of Ethereum. It's seeing the number of YouTube views on people just trying to educate themselves about what is this technology. And when you start to do that, you start to get more people actually understanding, wow, this actually has a real material value in what it's providing to society beyond just you know making a little money here making a little money there and and that that's the part that's most exciting to me is is looking at the engagement not necessarily just the dollars and cents going up and down i saw uh, google yeah. trends uh google trends now has web3 at an all-time high for searches which i thought was really interesting um you know we're recording this in the beginning uh, sorry the second week of june and uh it really does make me think that hey web3 is 
is now starting to become mainstream a little bit. Yeah. I took my friend of 12 years who's an army vet, you know, older guy, almost 50, to his very first crypto conference. And he's been teasing me ever since I got into crypto. You know, how's that monopoly money doing? Uh, he didn't consider it legitimate whatsoever until his mom, a little old Mexican lady, called me last year and said she wanted to buy Bitcoin for the first time. That's when his eyes opened and went, oh, my God, maybe there's maybe there's something to it, but I don't understand it. But after a week of consensus, he's fallen in love with the technology that is being built. He was a huge hit there just talking to people from an outside perspective. And everyone's telling him, you've got to go to NFT NYC. And Sam was talking oh. about Bitcoin and Ethereum earlier. But I think NFTs are probably going to be the next thing that get mentioned in that same sentence over and over and over again. So you've got Bitcoin, Ethereum, and NFTs as like the three biggest use cases for crypto so far. Sam, can you tell us what are NFTs and what is this technology's potential? Is there even a ceiling to it? No, there really isn't. Um, and it's actually probably of the area in if crypto or decentralized um, systems in general, NFTs are by far the most exciting. Uh, and when you hear NFTs, you know, at first you, you've probably heard of a board eight maybe, or a Murakami clone X. And if you have any education in the space, and these are very famous uh, NFT projects that have fantastic art behind them, fantastic provenance behind them, um, that have a whole variety of different potential use cases for licensing in TV shows and movies on t-shirts, et cetera. But NFTs really are so much more than just art or, or collectibles. NFTs really stand for a non-fungible token. And what that basically means is it's an, an digital asset that can represent something as a unique element. So that's different than like an Ethereum token, which there's you know, N number of Ethereum tokens. You can trade them back and forth and use them like a currency. A non-fungible token is a physical asset. There's one. So you can imagine your house. A house deed could actually become a non-fungible token. So you remove that from the process of just being on a piece of paper and you put that into a non-fungible token. Uh, you could take a look at something like a specific type of trading mechanism. That unique asset, a unique individual component of something, all parts of a whole, those are NFTs. So whether it's a share of a specific part of a house, let's say like this specific floor, uh, or a house as a whole, or potentially you could even represent you as your, your passport, right? Like your identity. It's a unique component uh, that can be used for pretty much any element or any walking component of your life. And just like we saw in the early crypto days from the 2008, 9, 10, you had guys buying pizzas for, for Bitcoin, if you've heard of those stories, you're in the early days still of NFTs, which is the art component of it, which still has an enormously valuable use case. Um, but the, the next layer, whether it's in a play turn gaming, in DeFi, or even in things like real estate, that's where the entire NFT space is really going to explode. So tell us where Remaster sits in the stack. Oh, absolutely. So as we talked about earlier, back in the early days, I guess you could say, you, you had Bitcoin, you had Ethereum, or Ethereum a little bit later, I guess. And the problem was you had a lot of the you know, real believers in the technology really powering right? you know, all of the trades and the transactions. The problem was the larger institutions, the larger family offices, the larger amounts of capital were a little uneducated about it, sure, but had no way to play with it. 
there were no kind of mechanisms or professional mechanisms where if you're going to be moving lots of money into the space, you need to have a certain amount of due diligence, a certain amount of KYC, a certain number of banks that accept it, and the infrastructure was not there. What we're doing at Remaster, and what I think is the most crucial component of where the Web3 and decentralized space is going, is providing infrastructure services so you can actually transact real-world value inside the metaverse or inside a decentralized application. And what Remaster is doing is we're trying to bind the legal world into the decentralized world. And, and our, our vision, in a very blunt manner, every legal contract can be its own protocol. And, and that's kind of where we stem our company from and where we stem the base of our technology from. So you guys are trying to make what more efficient? Like if we were to narrow it down sure. to you know, blank, is it, you know, you're trying to make, you know, getting mortgages and the loan approval process, boom, much more seamless, or um, how do you think about that? Absolutely. So uh, today, though, what we're mostly focused on is the, the traditional NFT art collectible assets as it sits today. So the scarier part, which a lot of people don't realize is when you buy an asset like a board eight, which could be hundreds of thousands of dollars, there's IP and rights that go along with that asset, right? You, you know, when everyone knows what a terms and condition sheet looks like, you scroll through it, you click, okay, you click next. Right. The problem is with these assets, the moment it goes onto a marketplace such as OpenSea, which is currently the largest NFT marketplace, the moment you trade that asset in a secondary market, all of a sudden the person who's bought this asset has never agreed to those terms and conditions. There's no way for them to agree to it and there's no way to prove that they've even read it. So if you want to have any commercial relationship or any kind of enforcement around these assets, none of it is really valid today. Now, certain lawyers may look at it and try and give the companies comfort, but the reality is if you can't prove the person who's bought it has even read the contract or agreed to the contract, how can you possibly enforce it? What Remaster is doing is we are binding the legal terms and agreements on chain so that when you actually trade these assets that have material value, you actually keep that provenance with you. So as many people have heard, maybe there's been some assets that have been stolen, as we've probably read in the, in the recent weeks. Yes, a lot Seth of have been stolen. Seth, Seth Green. Green is a perfect example. Someone who paid over $200,000 ransom to get his board eight back for the TV show he's, he's, he's currently producing. And in order for the community to actually engage with someone like a Seth Green today, a, there's no way to prove any provenance of the asset. So if you have a physical piece of art, right, and I have it in a wall in my house, I know where, I know the piece of art is there. If I want to license it, I know it's in your house. But the moment that I sign a licensing deal with you in an NFT space, I can just trade my NFT away to someone else. The other person doesn't have to abide by the licensing deal you signed with Sony Pictures or HBO. All of a sudden, now these guys are kept holding a bag of an asset of a license that they paid money for that they can't actually monetize. And more importantly, to you, the consumer, you can't monetize your asset. You can't actually derive additional value from your asset because there's no way to connect the two today. A paper contract won't stop the movement of an NFT or the tracking of an NFT, and neither should it. It should be all be done on chain. So when you actually trade this asset on whatever platform you want, the person who's buying it, you are guaranteed through our platform, that they've read all the terms and agreements and all the licensing deals associated to that asset. So not only do you get the benefit of making sure, obviously reducing things like stolen assets, reducing things such as fraud and theft, but more importantly, 
now companies can come in and go to an NFT collection and say, hey, I want to put these on all my shoes. Or, hey, I want to put this in a new rap video. Or, hey, I want to put this into a new TV show. And now the community can actually benefit. They can actually get the royalties associated to those actions and they can participate. So you can decide, hey, I don't want to be in the TV show. Don't sign the agreement. Your asset won't be in the TV show. But hey, listen, I don't mind them using my picture in a TV show and I get you know a couple of Ethereum every month or every quarter, depending on how the TV show does or depending on the streaming rights that it gets picked up by a specific network. All of that can be controlled on chain. And so now you have this entire network of deriving real utility value from the assets that you're buying. Uh, and to us, this is just the very beginning. This is the first step of being able to show people NFTs aren't just a piece of art. They're cool and that's great and that's awesome but there's so much more. And we're trying to provide the tools for people to unlock that value. That is an amazing high level description of what's being built. Let's zoom in now and talk about where do people go to actually start this process of streaming royalties and what are the rails available today and what are they gonna look like in the future? So we're talking about traditional, you know, if you have a traditional asset and you wanna get it into a, a TV show, right? You know, you can imagine, right? You, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, you know, there's pictures behind you. There, there's items behind you, um, Aaron. And as an example, if you want to try and get that into a TV show, if you own the IP or commercial rights, good luck. You have to get in touch with with HBO, Warner Brothers, Sony, whoever it is. Convince them, hey, you guys should use my rights. They're gonna be like, who cares? Like, like product placement. Exactly, as a perfect example. And then you're gonna have tons of lawyers involved, pages and pages of contracts. And then how do you track it? Like, am I getting paid the right amount? Am I really getting paid the right amount? Are they really paying me on time? I sign contracts with money flow. What you're doing now is you're actually bringing that value to the community. That's super powerful. And think about it from the company's perspective. If, if they do a drop, there's a drop that's coming up as an example that we're working with called the Haas Brothers, the Multi-Beast, which we're really excited about. Um, two awesome sculpture artists in Los Angeles coming out with this super cool NFT project where the community is going to derive the rarity. So everyone takes a personality survey. The survey is kind of randomized. It's different. Not everyone gets the same questions. And depending on what the community selects, that was, that's going to be what's in their, in their collection. So the whole community is deriving that. And then from there, they plan on putting this into TV shows, putting this onto other pieces of physical art, doing drops inside certain clubs, having certain access. And so the point is, you as an individual holder, you trying to get a TV deal with, with a Sony, they're going to be very difficult. But the House Brothers are going to advocate on your behalf. They're going to try and get as many of the, the items in the collection into a specific deal. And now you get the power of the community ownership by being able to participate. So now you actually get a, a voice at the table. Your asset actually can get into these actual very traditionally closed environments. And more importantly, there aren't 80 pages illegal. All with remaster, it's all online. You read through the agreement. We have certain highlighting tools. You can actually figure out, okay, what does this actually mean? What does that actually mean? And then once you sign the agreement, all your royalties are paid to your wallet in Ethereum or whatever currency the deal happens to be in. But the point is all of the actions happen on chain, all of the agreements happen on chain, and all the payments are shown through a very traditional escrow contract on chain. So there's full transparency and it really gives the community into that closed world. It gives you access into that closed world that I don't think you could really do without a technology um, you know, like, like smart contracts. Would it be fair to say that Remaster um, is leveraging, uh, you know, a blockchain, maybe like Ethereum, uh, to codify the law? 
right? And, and hard code law onto, you know, a monolithic source of truth, i.e., you know, anchoring it to the Bitcoin blockchain or the Ethereum blockchain. Is that what, what you're kind of describing and, and working towards? So what, uh, basically what we're working towards is being able to take legal contracts. And as I said, we believe every legal contract is a protocol. And so when you sign an agreement, the idea being is you have this base agreement for the collection that everyone agrees to, generally your terms of service. And then as licenses come out, there's certain other contracts that spawn off of these terms of service. So token 55 may have eight contracts associated to it, but token 264 may only have two contracts associated to it. And so the point is, all of the executable components of the law are of what the contract is, is happening on chain. So we've even built in and have partnered with certain uh, arbitration companies. So when these things get to a certain point and you're like, dude, this guy's not using my NFT the way I agreed, you can actually on chain flag the arbitrator who will then get both parties involved, figure out the dispute, and then they will hand out a reward, all completely on chain with complete transparency for the entire community to see how that action happened. Interesting. So- it's, it's a very hybrid approach between you know, having, uh, you know, some of the benefits of, of the centralized world, like having a, you know, a jams, right. A judicial uh, arbitration mediator. Um, but also having it in this, uh, you know, more open permissionless, uh, you know, decentralized nature, what, what, what makes blockchain necessary and, 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 you know, beneficial, uh, you know, and optimizing, optimizing for this system. Why not web two? Sure. Well, the, the biggest difference, obviously, between Web 2 and Web 3, if we get into that, Web 2 was, was community-based, but it was generally interacting with a community and with a company. And so the idea was whether you were uploading a video to YouTube. YouTube was owning that video, monetizing that video in some way, and prov- providing derivative value to the community. Same thing with Facebook. It was a social networking component where you were adding into the Facebook community. The Facebook community was monetizing off of you, and you derive value from that. Web3, the fundamental difference is about ownership. You own your assets. You own the entire ecosystem of what's going on. There isn't a centralized entity. There isn't a Facebook. There isn't a YouTube that's owning, monetizing, controlling what's happening. What we believe at Remaster specifically is we want to harness all of the benefits of that community ownership by bringing the most possible value and extracting the most amount of whether it's financial value, whether it's social value, whether it's just transactional value for the community, while at the same time, not losing sight of the kind of speed and necessity of having some centralized components from a legal lens, right? Having a DAO is great in certain scenarios, and and we could talk about DAOs later if we want to, but at Remaster, we're really focused on IP, copyright, and other kinds of transactional components that have to interface at the end of the day with people in the real world. And in order to bridge those two gaps, to bring the most amount of value to the community, you need to have a language that the traditional people understand. And so by taking the legal lens of having, like you said, an arbitrator making the final decision, which is obviously is a respected individual that the community would agree on as well as the companies getting involved, it allows for disputes to happen in a traditional format while still not really losing anything uh, from the community. 
And to answer the question that you kind of asked, and I, I didn't really 100% answer, is why do you need a blockchain for, for, to bring this kind of value to, um, to, to the community? Because if you, if you have a trusted entity making all of the decisions, A, you're going to have a central point of failure and corruption, which is really, from our perspective, going against the real value of Web3, which ultimately means that there's someone in the middle who's owning components. And by removing that ownership in the middle and by keeping the ownership and the value at the ends into the community, into the owners of the assets, you bring the most amount of value to the most amount of people while not losing any components of trust or fluidity in order for the transactions to, to go through. By now, you've probably all heard about cryptocurrencies. Uh, you might already be investing in them, but did you know that you can invest in cryptocurrencies through your retirement account? Okay, yeah, that's exactly right. With iTrust Capital, you can buy and sell cryptocurrencies from a crypto IRA and get the same tax advantages as a traditional IRA. So iTrust Capital allows you to invest in over two dozen of the most popular cryptocurrencies. And unlike the stock market, you can buy and sell 24 hours a day. So the iTrust Capital platform, it's super easy to use, and it only really takes a few minutes to create your account. And setting up an IRA with them is free, and iTrust has no account opening fees and no monthly fees. So look, it's time to start taking back control of your financial future. And with iTrust Capital, you can get all the tax benefits of a retirement account while investing in crypto. So sign up today and receive a $100 funding bonus when you open and fund an account. Just visit itrust.capital slash crypto 101 to start investing today. Again, that's itrust.capital slash crypto 101. Taxes and conditions apply. Fees apply. Cryptocurrencies are a speculative investment with risk of loss. iTrust Capital Incorporated does not provide legal investment or tax advice. And please consult with a qualified legal investment or tax professional. All right, on to the show. What are some of the big companies you've seen enter the NFT space? You know, it, it took, you know, basically 10 years for institutions to come to Bitcoin, but I'm already seeing household names, minting NFTs, buying NFTs, selling NFTs. Let's name drop for a couple minutes. Sure. I mean, I, I would say the Nike artifact deals, probably if we're going to go name drop and let's, let's, let's drop some of the biggest ones up front. The problem with all of these guys is when you speak to their legal departments and you speak to certain people, they'll tell you, well, the legal contracts are a little weak today, uh, but we want to get in the space. We want to engage with the community and we want to be first. And so the people who take a, you know, the first mover end up having risks. Uh, and so the reason, one of the reasons why Remaster was inspired was speaking to all of these companies that were getting into the NF space, the traditional companies, your Nikes, your Gaps. Um, your LVMH, all, all of these different companies that are entering the space. And in order for them to properly engage with the community to provide long-term additional value, quite frankly, whether it's us or another service like us, they're going to need some kind of legal way to find these assets to give people access to agree to the terms and conditions and to the licenses that have been issued on these assets. And they all know this is a yeah. huge problem, but they're just kind of taking the perspective Let's just get something out there today and we'll figure it out later. And now they're starting to realize, oh, wow, we can actually do really interesting licensing deals with some of these assets that we've had. We really need a technology 
in order to make that possible. And that, that's kind of where we're stepping in. And as consumers, we really need to be aware of that. I just saw an article today about Chevy selling a Corvette in an NFT auction. I saw that. You have a unique one of one NFT of a Corvette, but it's actually backed by a physical Corvette that you get delivery for. But as you're mentioning, Sam, you know, you really need to read the terms and services of that to make sure that you're actually obtaining ownership that's also on paper because we don't have any legal jurisdiction saying yet that whatever's on chain is truth upholdable in a court of law yet. Correct. And it's, I would take it an even step further than that. You don't even know what you're reading. Is it really bound to that asset? Right. I mean, maybe if you if you're very technical, you could figure out, okay, is this legal document have the right wall addresses, the right collection addresses, the right information with some, you know, pay for a very expensive lawyer to figure out, okay, this seems relatively kosher, seems good. Uh, but the best part about an on-chain service is it's on-chain bound to the asset. It's, it's in connect, interconnected with the asset. So sure, understanding the legal jargon, that's one thing, absolutely. But in terms of even understanding, is this legal jargon even legally associated to my asset? You can at least check off one of the boxes. And, and that to me is when you start getting into these other kinds of assets and derivatives of items, it's going to become even more important because once again, why add another step of having a physical piece of paper that can be lost, that can be misconstrued? Because the other element of remaster, which we haven't really also talked about, is you're also taking legal logic and it's being codified. So if you can read the code, and even if you're an amateur coder and you understand some basic smart track contract coding, you can actually look at the code for the legal contract and understand what clauses mean by looking at the code. And to me, that's super powerful because when I read a legal paragraph, sometimes it's super ambiguous. What does this really mean? What is, this, what is the intention of this? I can now go look at the code and be like, okay, that's what they meant by that paragraph. That's exactly the execution of what's going to happen. So I'm not trying to say we're trying to make law more accessible, but in a way, it's a byproduct of what we have to do in order to bind these things on chain. And, and that's another really powerful tool that I think a lot of people may overlook mm-hmm. uh, by being able to also remove a lot of ambiguity in some of these legal contracts. Is, is a future possible, uh, you know, with remaster and say an NFT marketplace for audio files where uh, basically that that producer of NFT audio files can get royalties, you know, anywhere this song is played uh, a, a kind of across the Web? Is that something uh, that I'm trying to bring a little bit of tangibility uh, to, sure. you know, as an example? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, with with something like music, um, if someone's you know burning or ripping or downloading the songs and playing them on their speakers over and over and over again, we would need to have a whole new world in which all you know DACs and and digital audio recording devices and things like that register songs and and actually pay out royalties to specific people. So I'm not getting super 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 granular. Um, yes, if you were streaming on a YouTube or you're streaming on a platform, or more, even if it's a Web 2 or even a Web 3 platform for streaming music, yes, the idea is you could actually track those royalties theoretically in real time uh, and, and have those payments come out if it was at a consumer level or at an owner level, paid out directly the time the song was played. Or you could have a more semi-hybrid approach as we've discussed earlier, which is where the company who's the streaming company 
could tally up those amounts and obviously pay out the royalty inside a smart contract so it's automatically done, but re reduces the need of a every single time a song is played, you know, pay out a fraction of a cent. Instead, the company would aggregate that, you know, pay one gas fee and pay you out at the end of a week, month, quarter, whatever it happens to be. But yes, the idea is as you as you work with institutional level legal contracts, you can do the integrations with the institutional content distributors and creators. Mm. And that's where the community can really benefit because those interactions today, I mean, imagine, imagine movies too. They don't want to deal with 10,000 holders of a collection, but if all they have to do is put up a contract that you can sign and now they've interacted and they can now use all the elements in the contract, all of the, the items in the collection, sorry. Well, that makes it pretty easy. And now you get the benefit or the power of a movie studio pushing your product or pushing your asset. So in the future, what you just described absolutely uh, could, could definitely be something we see in the future. Where, where do you kind of think we are in terms of, uh, you know, is this a future where movie studios and, you know, producers and, and kind of all pieces of the, the triangle here, is this five years out? Or, or do you think that, you know, this technology and the comfortability of, uh, you know, kind of big media houses is maybe only two years out? I think in certain uh, specifically streaming platforms, I think we're less than two years out. Um, I mean, you, you mentioned Seth Green as an example. is a perfect example of someone who's trying to push something out, I would say, within the next year. Mm. Harnessing the value of an NFT in a licensing contract uh, inside a traditional you know, TV show style environment. So yes, a full length feature film, not sure, you know, and a movie theater with a, you know, big producers, big financing behind it. That's probably a couple years out. I don't think we're going to be seeing that um, next week. Uh, but your online kind of streaming shows, um, different kind of YouTube channels and shows, maybe, maybe even gamers. a Netflix show. Absolutely. Especially in the play to earn space. Yeah. You're going to be seeing this stuff pop up over the next year. I, I would say within a year, you're going to start seeing NFT components, whether it's of a collectible or it's for something of a achievement or an award or an unlock. Um, because there's a whole market that's just starting to pop up about renting NFTs, <laughs> borrowing NFTs. So all of a sudden, if I'm renting an NFT for you or borrowing an NFT for you, think about the legal implications of that, right? Like, I don't know who the owner is. This guy's flaunting this thing, but there's a movie deal on the asset, but he's flaunting it on some social media site that he's not supposed to do. You need an infrastructure like this in order to make these kinds of opportunities possible for the community and possible for the space. And just like, like I said, we saw with crypto have a massive explosion once institutional capital came in, it was because they had the rails to actually come in. Once that happens in the NFT space with products like Remaster and, and others like it, you're going to see that same kind of explosion. And I think in a much larger way, because we're not just talking about financial transactions, we're just talking about pretty much any unique asset in life kind of uh, transaction. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking of the analogy the other day, like, let's say I borrow a board ape and I get airdropped some other <laughs> NFTs. Perfect. Do I own those NFTs or does the original owner get them and I have to transfer them back? Or can I have a contract that says I specifically want to borrow the board apes for this airdrop and I'll return it once the airdrop is done. Uh, so I mean, the possibilities are endless, but let me ask you this, Sam, yep. do you think, with the rise of this creator economy and YouTube and other more accessible platforms, are we going to see the end of major movie and TV studios at some point this decade? <laughs> are they going to go the way of the newspaper? 
Are we going to have network TV with garbage sitcoms and reality TV much longer? Where do you see legacy media going? That's a great question. I mean, from my perspective, I think your your high end, I like to call it media, which would be your big blockbuster style movies. I mean, the amount of capital and the amount of infrastructure behind those endeavors, they're not going to go anywhere. Everyone wants to see the new uh, Marvel movie. Everyone wants to see the new Christopher Nolan movie. These high budget Hollywood blockbusters are still going to be made and people are still going to want to watch them. We are years away from that really going away. I think the traditional TV sitcom cable market, as we've been seeing over the past 10 years, has been being replaced by the streaming market and even the streaming company starting to get into that space. And I would say in the past three to four years, there's been an enormous jump in influencer style media, especially uh, among you know, demographics between 13 and 30 years old. I mean, I don't know how many people are, you know, in, in the 13 to 30 year old demographic are, are watching you know, CBS, you know, 8 p.m., you know, CSI TV shows anymore. They're going to be watching a game or streaming, right? or they're going to be watching some cartoon that's being released on YouTube, as well as there's still the traditional Netflix and Hulu, which is kind of that bridge between the two worlds almost. Um, so I, I think you're going to see the general market of traditional broadcast TV die down to a very minimal component in society. And I think you're going to see, just as we saw influencers change the way media is going to work, I now think you're going to have the people who watch the influencers, the owners of these assets, the NFT owners and holders and communities, be able to speak with their wallet, be able to speak with their community. We want this made. We want this made this way. And we can actually do it because now we can sign all the legal contracts. We can license you all the assets. We can give you all the components to make the show. So now all of these like the legal minutia and all of the nonsense about trying to figure out how can I even potentially get the master uh, rights to, to use this song in a show, right? Take forever to hunt that down or super expensive. Now the community can provide it. Say, you make it for me, I provide it for you. And we, we both reap the benefits. And so now you, if, you're, if you're a studio, you can actually get content that you know the community wants. <laughs> you, you're going to be making content with direct feedback from the people who are going to consume the content. Uh, and then obviously draw different parallels around there. So I think the whole cycle and how we consume media, as we've just seen in the small space of influencers coming in and dictating how we consume, is going to also change by how the ownership paradigms also change. So I think that mm. that's where the major changes will be. Love it. So, so Sam, what's next for Remaster? Are you guys uh, part of the... Uh, the group of crypto companies that is doing the mass layoffs right now and scaling yeah. back. Are you guys hiring and starting to say, all right, we're going full steam ahead. What's next for remaster? Oh, absolutely. Um, we are 100% hiring. Um, you know, we've, we've, our, our group, our, our team, our, we're a bunch of co-founders. We founded multiple companies, had successful exits in the past. Um, we've been through the up and downs of crypto. I mean, the real bears and the rear real bulls. And so I, we're very bullish uh, overall on the technology and the value it's going to provide long term. And so uh, we are definitely hiring on, across all fronts uh, because we think this is a super necessary infrastructure component in the ecosystem and space. We're just extremely passionate about solving this problem uh, because we see, we can see where it's going. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, this is where the space is going to be in 10 years from now. 
And we know that services like this are going to propel it forward that much faster uh, because we need to get there. And so we're not, we're not, we haven't you know, laid off a single person uh, and we're definitely hiring, like I said, in engineering and sales and marketing, all, all components. As somebody, uh, just to, to round out that, that final question, but as sure. somebody who's been through a couple market cycles, um, yeah. you know, you've seen the ups and the downs. Yeah. What, could, could you share with some of our viewers who, who might be kind of like freaking out right now at the, uh, the low prices, um, sure. you know, share with them a little bit of context from your, from your viewpoint and maybe even, uh, what, uh, you know, what sort of time frame you expect this to last. Right. Well, like I've been saying before, I mean, if, if we, I guess I'm on this podcast, but, but between my friends and family, if we look at the last real U.S. bear market, you're looking around 2008 to 2010. And obviously crypto was in its real infancy uh, then. So this is the first time, I mean, we've had little blips, but I would say this is the first real U.S. economic bear market we're seeing. Um, or significant, I would say, economic bear market, since crypto has been a real mainstream component. You could look at the crypto bear market of 2018, and there's other crypto bear markets. I'm talking about in correlation with the U.S. bear market. So part you have to, there's, there's a couple things you have to remember. Number one, crypto provides an enormous amount of value in terms of transactional stuff between community, transactional components between communities here in the U.S. But it provides so much more to people even outside uh, the U.S., and, and to other places around the world that sometimes in America, we, we get a little lost about it, just very, very single focus and single minded if it solves this problem here. But it solves so many different commerce problems around the world. And that's something that I think sometimes we get lost on. And when we don't really think about all the other value it tangibly brings to people in an everyday component. I mean, look at just like, for example, the war in Ukraine. Tons of donations have poured in in Bitcoin because it's easier to liquidate. It's easier for people to move that asset around than dealing with banks uh, as a perfect example. So the point I'm, I'm making is don't just think about what an analyst says of, okay, it's going to you know, dip here, go up this, that. If you look at how much Bitcoin dove like 2013 or 2014 or 2015, the percentage changes are much more wild than what's happening today. As a percentage, what's happening today is a fraction of what was happening five, six, seven years ago. So in my mind, crypto is a lot more stable. And this market is proving that it's a lot more stable than it used to be. Sure, it's down. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to look at it if you're a real believer. It's a buying opportunity. Um, and you just have to think about it from the long-term perspective. If you see the value and you understand the value both from how you want to use it and from how it can be used abroad, it's a, it's a simple investment, just as you would invest in a company, right? If you see the material value in a company, whether it's up or it's down, you don't look at the price, you look at its value. And, and when I see crypto, specifically uh, assets like Ethereum and, and Ethereum 2 coming out and the potential to reduce gas fees by such a large multiple to bring even more value into that network, or, or Avalanche and what they're doing in, in the DeFi space. And of course, Bitcoin is just a, a storage of, of value that doesn't have inflationary tendencies. I see value in all of those things. And I think the value is worth a lot more than where it is today. So from that perspective, I'm a buyer. Uh, and, and that's how I would approach it. I think that's great context and uh, you know, definitely a lot of good color. Um, Aaron, did you, did you I think I interrupted you. Oh, I just wanted to say, I think it, uh, I want to echo your, your agreement with that, Bryce. Um, price and value are often dislocated, especially yeah. in crypto. There's almost never a fair value being traded. It's either 
grossly underinflated or grossly overpriced. And there's a time to buy and there's a time to sell. Uh, Bryson, you always hold up this book that you like to read during our our coaching calls Mm -hmm. where it says, when it's time to buy, you won't want to. And that's the best, you know, cover and slogan for really the situation we're in right now. If you were buying an asset at $50,000 because you believe that was a good value then, why wouldn't you buy it when it's on a Christmas sale at 20? (laughs) Because you had the same belief then that it was going to go up to whatever it was, wherever your sell target was. Now it's even more of a discount. So in my time and travels at Consensus, everybody that I talked to was excited to get in cheaper. Mm -hmm. Um, There are a lot of people that just made money in oil and gas as prices skyrocketed. Especially in Texas. real estate. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And they're saying, my God, we just made all of this money. We don't know where else to put it now, except crypto. Crypto is finally at a level that we feel comfortable buying in. We still have no clue about it or what to buy or how to buy it. But I'm getting more emails and more phone calls and more messages and more introductions to $100 million funds that have been spun out saying, we don't know what we want or what any of this stuff is, but we're willing to learn and we want to play ball. Oh, that's great. So I don't know where the bottom's going to be, but it's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. So I have never been more bullish long-term on crypto, Web3, NFTs, all of it. Love it. Now, Sam, uh, before we let you go, we've got just one question. You know, we, we, We've got a couple of closing questions we'd like, but uh, we'll ask you sure. one of these popular questions. But uh, it's really... A simple one. And it's out of all the companies and all the protocols that are out there. If you had to choose just one, okay, choose just one that was maybe the most impactful to the community or is going to, you know, maybe be the most successful. Do you have any uh, hot takes on that? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'll say it from a perspective of probably a company that your viewers may not be as familiar with um, because I I think they're going to be doing something super valuable in the space. Um, and I, I think Spring Labs, uh, specifically their, their product Quadrata, which is really tackling a KYC identity passport um, style uh, problem. Huh. And, Spring, and why I think that's super important. And it's not going to be, you know, the, the most glamorous or the most, the coolest DeFi project. Uh, but what they're solving is a problem um, that, like I mentioned before, that the reason why institutions couldn't get into crypto earlier was there was no rails for them to really play ball. There was no playbook. There was no scorecard. There was no way for them to get into the space. And to me, they are providing the real tools to allow institutional capital to get into the Web3 space. I don't mean investing. I mean actually bringing value into those communities and actually propelling projects and whatever, whether it's tokenizing homes or whether it's doing TV deals and licensing deals or whether it's completely revolutionizing the bond market. These kinds of tools that they're building alongside, of course, Remaster uh, are super, super, super important in order for these kinds of institutions to come in and really start bringing that institutional value to the communities Mm. to really bring this space into the value it can provide to the world. And Without tools that they're providing in other companies, them, we're never going to get there. And so I like to give a shout out to those infrastructure companies that sometimes aren't, like I said, they're not the next 
you know, Polkadot or Akala or et cetera, that have these amazing, you know, financial upsides if you do the investment properly. But they are a company that's going to provide so much additional and traditional value to the space. And they're probably not going to get the limelight they deserve uh, when mm. they do that. So I wanted to give out a shout out to them. Love it. Spring Labs. And, and I'm looking at their site right now. Really nice site. Uh, in their most recent uh, kind of press announcement, it was that Brian Brooks had just joined Spring Labs. And that's a very familiar name because he was the former chief legal officer of Coinbase. And then he went to go be the, the nation's chief banking regulator at the office of the comptroller of the currency uh, from the treasury. So Brian Brooks kind of popping over to, uh, to the private market. And uh, I think he also went to, uh, he led Binance US for a little bit, but it looks like he's at okay. Spring Labs now. So that they're, they got good company there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm very bullish on them. I, I think, I think they're going to have some phenomenal products and have some phenomenal integrations with some of the larger players that you've heard of over the next year or two. Well, I'm excited to see how how this particular uh, niche of the industry progresses. And Sam, we're, you know, Aaron and I are, are lucky to have hosted you. And I think the entire space, all the listeners are lucky that we have guys like you that are building super necessary, uh, you know, properties and uh, systems for to kind of push the world forward. So uh, thanks for all the hard work and uh, keep it up. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, hopefully we'll, uh, we're will we coming to a community near you soon. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be seeing you guys around. There we go. All right, everybody at home listening. Hope you had fun. Stay tuned. Uh, you know what we got coming up next week. More guests. We're going to be talking about crypto, DeFi, all things Web3. Uh, have yourselves a good one. Mm-hmm.